From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Big Story Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. I'm Jason Dick, the leadership editor here at CQ Roll Call. Do lawmakers read or even care about the legislation they pass? There's growing evidence they might not. The Senate is prepared to approve a budget resolution this week that several senators say they will support, even though it has very little to do with the federal budget itself. And Congress passed legislation last year stripping the Drug Enforcement Administration of a key tool in the fight against opioid abuse by unanimous consent. After an extensive investigation by The Washington Post and CBS's 60 Minutes, now lawmakers are coming out of the woodwork to express their reservations about that piece of legislation that they passed, again, with nary a whiff of dissent. What's going on? Is it too much to expect lawmakers to vote on things that are what they say they are or that they might have even a fleeting understanding of? I'm joined by our senior Senate reporter, Niels Lesniewski, and we're going to talk about this. Welcome, Niels. It's good to be back. So let's talk about the the budget resolution. Uh, the, the The Senate is has uh, voted to proceed to the budget resolution. They're talking about some. They're going to vote on some amendments today. They're going to go into that uh, lovely exercise of American democracy known as the Votorama uh, tomorrow. The people who when they, when they were announcing their support for the budget resolution, it was couched in terms of that, that they actually were, knew that they weren't voting on a budget resolution. What are they voting on then? If you actually read the budget resolution, they are voting on a budget resolution. There are numbers uh, for how much the federal government should spend in various areas. There are uh, instructions on, on deficit impacts. So it is, in fact, a budget resolution. But I think you would be hard-pressed to walk up to uh, most any senator, probably with the exception of the chairman uh, of the Budget Committee, Mike Enzi, uh, and actually start quizzing them on um, the budget levels. No one is really paying attention uh, to the numbers because this is all about, as Republican senators will even admit, creating uh, the space for uh, tax reform coming down the road uh, to pass the Senate with just a simple majority vote. So, yeah, and in, in broad strokes, I mean, the, the way that this is, quote unquote, supposed to work, right, is that at the beginning of the year, the committees all start, you know, the different uh, you know oversight committees have hearings and they talk about what the priorities for the administration are and, wh- and how much money different departments need. And then they all come together and they pass a budget resolution in April. <laughs> yes. <laughs> statutory <laughs> deadline. A statutory deadline of passing a budget in, in April, which is just adorable. Uh, and, and then they start. Uh, th- and that really basically sets the outline. I mean, and, and it doesn't have the force of law. And then the spending committees go and they and they go ahead and they they start appropriating money one by one in their bills. That is not happening right now. Uh, the budget resolution has, has, for the most part, become a, a political tool. And this is not just a, 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 a grumpy journalist like ourselves pointing this out. Senator John McCain, uh, the, the held up frequently as a paragon of, of of legislative integrity, when he announced that his he was going to support the budget resolution, he said, "At the end of the day, we all know, we all know, <laughs> that the Senate budget resolution will not impact final appropriations." He said he would vote for the measure quote because it provides a path forward on tax reform. His uh, his his good friend Lindsey Graham. Uh, told our our, uh, our own our own CQ budget team, it's a political document. He said of the, Lindsey Graham said of the resolution, the budget resolution. The only thing important about the budget to me is reconciliation on taxes. Now, 
really, let's let's get to the the meat of it. You, you said it's about tax reform. It's really about passing tax reform through the budget reconciliation process, which it basically, you know, the the nut of that is it enables the, the whoever's in the majority not to have to worry about filibusters. So really, that's what it's really about. That's right. And and in fact, if, if you want to talk about how topsy-turvy the process is, uh, in fairness to the House and Senate appropriations committees, they've actually done most of their work uh, for the fiscal year that, that we're now in. The appropriations committee basically went ahead and wrote bills without having gotten the blueprint for what the bills were supposed to be. So, so, so you're filling in the blanks without knowing where you started from uh, is kind of where we are. But to the point about uh, uh, taxes, the deficit uh, instructions, uh, the reconciliation instructions will give the opportunity for the, the tax writing committees, the Ways and Means, and the Finance Committee to go ahead. But what's kind of odd in all of this, not that everything isn't odd in all of this, but one thing that's particularly odd is that the tax writers are saying they are not putting out bills until after the budget resolution is done. So while everything else in this process, it's fine to be out of order... We can't get legislative text from the Ways and Means Committee until after the, the House and Senate reconcile this, this somewhat fictitious budget resolution. And it's, it is sort of hard to overstate that this is just – this is kind of unprecedented. I mean the, 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 uh, the people who are in favor of, of tax reform – and it's, it's hard to be against tax reform, right? Nobody likes doing their taxes. Uh, like I, I pay an accountant myself because I just don't want to deal with with how complicated it is or get dinged on something by the IRS because I didn't understand it. So I mean, it's it's hard to 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 hold up like the current tax structure as something that is this paragon of simplicity and awesomeness. But so the, there is a need to simplify the tax code or at least to make people feel better about it. But the but the issue is like the last time they did this and 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 people have said like this is back in 1986. You know, we had this great process. They had year a year and a half of hearings uh, in. In, and and they, they went through this this big process of like give and take and so forth and we really haven't had that much of it we've basically had six people <laughs> the you know the the uh, Republican leaders and the and the tax writers and a couple guys from the White House Stephen Mnuchin and Gary Cohn sit in a room and say this is our framework and 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 yet we we keep on going down this this path so it's it's a it's a fascinating process well so let's talk about a couple of other measures I mean like let's you know the, sort of put that in the box and we'll look forward to seeing the debate of you know a budget resolution is not really about a budget resolution it's about tax reform so let's talk about another uh, piece of legislation that, that we've been hearing quite a bit about in the last couple of days this this uh, drug enforcement bill that, that passed in both chambers by unanimous consent, meaning no one, not one member of Congress voiced any kind of dissent on it. Uh, that's 535 members. Uh, no one said, I don't think this is a good idea, or can we just hold on a second? I want to do it. The administration signed it. The Obama administration signed it. And the, the, you know, this, this report is just is sort of devastating from the Post in 60 Minutes, you know, which just states that this kind of took the teeth out of this key enforcement tool of see, of being able to seize shady shipments of, of painkillers so that you're like these tiny little towns in West Virginia were ending up with millions of painkillers and then wow lo and behold people started dying of overdoses so how does this happen how, it, Niels I mean like we, we've we've you and I have been doing this you know a lot we've been observing Congress for a lot of years between us how does it happen that something of such significance passes with with really no no um, 
debate <laughs> uh, and and no no input and nobody saying like, hey, I don't think this is a very good idea. Because now they are saying this is maybe not such a great idea. Maybe we should at least revisit it. Well, you know, this comes up from time to time. Uh, my first thought on this one was, you know, what we don't have, and it's it's funny that now we're going to sort of hold him up as as uh, as a champion of this. But I don't know that there's a Tom Coburn around. Mm-hmm. So the, the, doc- the former senator from uh, Oklahoma who, who got a reputation. He was a doctor and, and he became Dr. No in the Senate because he refused to go along with unanimous consent requests. Right. He would object to all kinds of things that Harry Reid, who was the majority leader at the time, wanted to expedite across the floor. Uh, and he or his staff were known for reviewing every single one of these requests, which fly back and forth through a now through an email system. It used to literally be they call it the hotline because mm-hmm. it used to be a telephone uh, that would ring in all of the offices. Uh, so so I don't know, frankly, uh, and one of the questions that I think we all need the answer to, but I'm not sure how quickly we'll get it is we all need to know how much uh, vetting is actually done of these requests these days. If there is, Or if a new senator needs to emerge uh, to be Tom Coburn and basically start saying, uh, is that really a good idea? Have right. we really vetted this thing? And returning to the DEA and, and their issues and whether why they didn't raise enough of a stink, there actually were people who were raising questions about this legislation in the DEA, but they just weren't the top people, right? Yeah, that's that's uh, the reporting from from the Post uh, in particular. And and that's going to be a, a problem because, frankly, there are a lot of uh, people who come into legislative affairs shops, which is not something that people talk about enough, really, who are either political appointees or they're just sort of pulled in from elsewhere. Uh, and and how much coordination or way that the the people who are on the ground uh-huh. someone who is based in Huntington West Virginia may have no way of getting a hold of the legislative affairs people at the justice department right the the, the person who's quite literally dealing with this every day dealing with you know uh, the the you know the the effects of it in in their neighborhoods you know the the ground level the the foot soldiers if you will Right, and and so that's that's where we are. There are several instances, particularly in the in the post report, of of people who were were at, like fighting it at the ground level, but weren't very polished. They're not polished like you find a, a legislative affairs officer or a legislative liaison, there are, or a lobbyist. They they don't have uh, perhaps the 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 smooth way of interacting that that you expect, you know, in in a legislative setting. But they were raising questions. Right, and and they. Uh, need to find a way, I think, going forward, they're going to need to figure out a way for whether it's DEA or anywhere else uh, for the people who are on the ground uh, to be able to, whether it's blowing the whistle or whether it's uh, just getting their message up to the people who are making the policy, uh, which is probably a perpetual problem that won't be solved anytime soon. But but that's really the crux of this issue. And we're, to be clear, we're not talking about just naming some post office somewhere, you know, in in uh, Enid, you know, like <laughs> or, right. or something like that. I mean, we're we're talking about substantive legislation that changes the way, say, the Drug Enforcement Administration does its job. Uh, you know, the, the the legislation passed last year by by both chambers, vetoed by by President Obama, and then overridden on the veto that that allowed families of terrorist attacks to sue 
terrorist organizations in other, in other countries and, and sovereign nations. I mean, like that that passed with only one senator voting against it, Harry Reid. And then, you know, lo and behold, there are problems that have, that have sort of come up and, and headaches that have come up with, with that legislation. One thing that's kind of interesting to point out about these unanimous consent requests, there is a lot of trust that goes on. Um, these things are typically passed with very few people in the chamber. <laughs> you know, we, we've seen, I mean, the the the, uh, the idea that the, there are 100 senators sitting there and every single one of them is sort of signing off on on, the, on a piece of legislation that's that's uh, that's coming up for unanimous consent is is not doesn't really exist. It re- usually happens when there's a couple of people in the chamber and the majority leader has to pass something by unanimous consent and nobody says a word and it just sort of goes on to the next phase. Are people? It sounds ridiculous to ask this, are, but are people too trusting? I mean, we're in a very like polarized partisan environment. But are are other senators perhaps trusting that so, maybe somebody's read the bill and that, and that's good enough for them? I think there is some of that. I think that senators have particular interests. There there are people in, in the in the chamber who are are more focused on defense policy and people who are more focused on transportation or the environment. And so, to some extent, I think the assumption is be it with other senators and also probably with departments and agencies and people in ledge affairs shops uh, from the executive branch who are often involved in the vetting of these uh, proposals, is that the people who are interested in them were probably paying attention to them. Uh, So that's, I think, where it is, is that you trust your colleagues who care about these issues uh, to be caring about them and the committees to be caring about them. Uh, and and maybe there's some time now that people need to start reflecting, uh, and and maybe some of this, for better or worse, also falls to the staff to uh, be paying more careful attention if if their members are not going to. All right, thank you very much, Niels. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. Thank you for listening. Thank you.